All right, well, welcome. My name is Jeremy West, and um, as Joe said, I'm one of the pastors here at Antioch, uh, normally uh, leading worship. So now I, I get to have this cool Garth Brooks mic on, and it's exciting. But looking forward to sharing God's word with uh, you guys today. And, and if you're new with us, we just want to say welcome. We're super glad that you're here. You know, summertime's a time of transition, and uh, new people moving to our city and starting jobs and, and maybe even looking for a church home. And so if that's you, we're glad you're here. Welcome. And uh, yeah, we're just honored that you'd spend the morning uh, with us. We've been in a series um, throughout the summer called Right Side Up. And really, we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus from the book of Luke and just diving in and seeing what he has to say is he is, uh, his kingdom is right side up. Everything else is upside down, but his kingdom is right side up. And so we've been digging into that, and so we're going to continue with that uh, this morning um, in Luke chapter 13. So you can go ahead and get your Bible out, your phone, or whatever you use these days uh, for a Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 13, and if you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, you can grab the one in the seat uh, in front of you, under the seat in front of you, um, and turn to page 847. That's Luke chapter 13. Now, I hope, I, I really do hope that you guys have been having a summer that just far exceeds your wildest dreams and expectations. I really do. I really do. Uh, Man, I'll be honest. For me as a parent, when we come around into summertime, there's this mix of excitement (laughs) and also a little bit of nervousness. Um, Now, I just need to pause for a second. I have a spot on my shirt. You see that? I have four children, and sometimes things happen. All right, grease, it's not going to go away. I thought it was water, and I thought it would go away. And my wife was like, you have a spot on your shirt, and it's not going away. And I was like, you know what? I'm just glad that, well, it could be worse. Let's put it that way. When you hold small children, it could be worse. Okay, so just ignore the spot. Um, Or maybe God will speak to you through it somehow. I don't know. That'd be pretty awesome. All right, back to the summer. So (laughs) the summer, right? As we come into the summer, I get a little nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm really being honest here because I want my kids to have a great summer. And they're home all day. And, man, if you're a, a parent that works from home or stays home with your kids and school is out and they're home, and it's just, it kind of gets a little antsy. And you feel like, man, we got to have a plan. I want summer to be memorable. I want it to be cool. I want it to be good. I want them to be able to have fun. And, and so I feel this pressure to have this grand, awesome, you know, plan. Activity is going to cost a lot of money. we got to plan it. Cool vacation. All that stuff, and man, I, I, I just get nervous. And um, it all comes from this desire to make an impact, you know? I want to make an impact in the summer. I want it to be significant. I want it to be memorable, all that. And so my anxiety levels just kind of starts to rise, right? And my kid's patience <laughs> begins to lower. And, um, and, it, and everyone's kind of antsy and a little nervous, like cooped up in the house. What I experienced was this amazing, beautiful, wonderful, creative, powerful woman, superhero, steps into the scene. In our house, they call her mom. I call her her babe. And she saves the day, or saves the summer, with a genius idea. And here is the genius idea. Let's make a summer bucket list. I was like, sounds good to me. So we're going to put together a list of a bunch of simple, small, and cheap activities for our family and for our kids we can do throughout the summer. And then we can look back and go, and we had an awesome summer. Yay. This is great. Look at all the little, small, cheap things we got to do. (laughs) Maybe sprinkle in some big ones as well. But we're learning this, that every once in a while get to do something big. But every day, we have opportunity to do something small that has a big impact. So we're learning that. Uh, And one of these small things that we've done, we did, has been the talk of our home. I kid you not. Was lunchable for dinner night. (laughs) Do we have a picture of a lunchable up here? Lunchable for dinner night. That's right. Dirty crackers, processed meat, you know, we think it's meat <laughs> with a Capri Sun. It's just kind of packaged in this yellow container with minions on it, you know, screaming at your kids. I'm healthy, eat me, you know, whatever. 
And, uh, and so we have Lunchable for dinner night. And we, we decided to even take it next level. We did it in a tent. But not just any tent, a living room tent, which is basically chairs with blankets draped over them with no ventilation. So when you get inside and everyone starts breathing, it gets hot and steamy inside the tent as our families gathered for Lunchable for dinner night. Man, our kids thought they won the lottery. I kid you not. They were just like, oh, so great. And um, I made a mark. It cost $9. I mean, it was awesome. (laughs) So good. We checked it off our bucket list. And recently, one of my kids, you know, came. He was like, Dad, I'm just kind of bored. We just don't do anything. I was like, son, don't you remember? We had Lunchable for dinner night in a tent. And his face lits up, or lit up, and he's like, oh, yeah, thank you, Dad. And he, like, ran off. I was like, yes, winning. Man, small things, big impact on our kids' summer. I don't know about you. Maybe you relate with (laughs) summer activities and things like that or not. But we all have this in common. Whether you're Christian or not, old, young, think of yourself as rich or poor, whatever, race, ethnicity you are, wherever you fall, and all of that, we have this in common, is that we desire to have impact. We desire to make an impact, not just on our summer, but in life. We, there's something inside of us, we are wired for significance. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are wired for significance. That's absolutely right. And maybe if we're honest, we could be honest this morning, there's been a time in your life, a moment, just in a vulnerable moment, when you ask that question, something like, what does my life mean? Is my life significant? What about my life matters? Does it matter? Or maybe you've already determined, you're like, okay, Jesus, God, I know there's purpose, I know there's meaning, but the anxiety for you, the angst for you is not, does it matter or not, is how does it matter? How do I, like, I know it matters, but it just doesn't feel like much is happening. How exactly could I make an impact? I mean, there seems to be so much brokenness and hurt in the world around, right? I just feel so small. and just, like, how, how do we do this thing? You know, we've all contemplated probably that question before, I would imagine. And maybe even feel a sense of anxiety, or restlessness, maybe even disappointment this morning about it. Maybe a little guilt for not doing more or not being more or not... You know, something big, something great. Maybe you don't even know exactly what you should be doing. I want to encourage you. You don't need to apologize for that this morning. You don't need to apologize because that desire for lasting impact, that desire for significance, guess what? God put it in you. God hardwired it into your soul, into your DNA. He put it inside of you. Each of us have that desire to make lasting impact. Often, too easily, I find we, we get discouraged. We get discouraged easily because we think of this, this, this desire for impact and for significance, and then we're trying to, to kind of reconcile it with our life. And if you're anything like me, I'm like, desire for impact, great things, worldwide, awesome, eternal. And I'm like, me. <laughs> yeah. I'm unimpressive. <laughs> I'm ordinary. I'm non-spectacular. We're not the only ones, okay, or the first to ever wrestle with that. Even in the days of Jesus, this was a tension in the hearts of people. It's a human tension in the lives of people. They too are desiring to live a life of impact, to make a difference, to be significant, to be a part of something great, something beautiful, something worthwhile, something that matters. And they felt trapped in an ordinary Maybe non-spectacular, unimpressive day-to-day life, like you and I. And Jesus speaks to a group of his followers right in the middle of this tension, just cuts right through it, and says something that I think will be profoundly significant and encouraging for us this morning. And so we're going to read it, Luke chapter 13. Now, before we we read the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of context here. 
a little bit of context about for what we're about to read. Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. And his ministry involved kind of two things. A ministry of teaching. So he's teaching, you know, think Sermon on the Mount that you, that you may have heard before. Love your neighbor as yourself. Serve others. Be a steward. Give generously. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear or, you know, the food you're going to eat. But trust God for provision. These values. He's teaching these things to the people. And it's, and it's encouraging. And it's lifting off burdens off of people. It's great. It's good. And, and, and along with that, he has the ministry of demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God through healing the sick, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, setting the oppressed free. So this is, this is happening, and people are getting excited, all right, and thinking, man, the kingdom of God, yeah, it's good, it's awesome, and, and they have in their mind what that's going to look like. And it's all great and exciting, but honestly, is perplexing too, very perplexing, because all these great things that Jesus is doing He's doing in the backwoods part of northern Israel, not the strategic metropolis of Rome or Jerusalem, not where people went that wanted to establish an everlasting dominion, didn't go to the backwoods part of northern Israel and do things like this. And on top of that, as soon as there's some momentum, there's a crowd, a miracle, and one person tells their neighbor, and they all come, there's a crowd gathering. It's like, this is the moment. This is going to be the coronation. This is awesome. And Jesus decides to give his hardest teaching, his most challenging, confusing teaching in that moment, as if he's like trying to disperse the crowds. In fact, there are scenes where he does disperse the crowds. He's like, all right, we're done. You know what? Go <laughs> read some books, you know, whatever. Like, what in the world? And then he decides to withdraw from that scenario where he had momentum, all this stuff. He gives hard teaching, and he decides to spend the majority of his time with some goofy, uneducated disciples. As if he thinks that they're actually going to change the world. What is going on with Jesus? I mean, if you are an executive coach, <laughs> you'd be handing Jesus your business card. You would. I mean, he'd be like, hey, we need to get Jesus an executive coach because he is not leveraging his gifts, talent, personality, power the right way. This is not how it was supposed to be done. He seems to be leveraging all this for some low-impact situations. You know, the people that he's healing, not the rich and famous, the who's who. It's kind of the outcast of society. Elderly who are past their prime. Gentiles who are not even a part of the nation. Right? Foreigners. Children. What are you doing, Jesus? It would have been perplexing. And really, you would think, this is cool, this is exciting, some great miracles. But where's the rest of the story? <laughs> where's the rest of this thing that we've been expecting? The kingdom. It feels a bit unimpressive, insignificant, and very unexpected. And in the midst of that, Jesus says what we're about to read. Matthew, I mean, sorry, Luke 13 Verse 18, listen, he said, therefore, what, so what he's about to say in, is in response to what he already knows everyone's feeling, and maybe what you're feeling about your own life. He says, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? He's asking two questions here, not because he needs the answer, not because he's like, oh, I don't know, someone help me. It's not the situation He's asking two questions to confront the core of your being. To confront the core of these people's thoughts and expectations. He's confronting us with what we think is truly significant. What is of the kind of impact that matters so pause for a moment with that question. I just encourage you, when you read the Bible and you see a question, especially a question from Jesus, just stop and just ponder and let it confront you. 
What is the kingdom of God like? Let's make it personal. What is the kingdom of God like in your life? What are your expectations of what the kingdom of God is like in your life? You know, for these people, like I've already said, their expectation was the kingdom was going to come with power and with great glory. A scene, it would be impressive display. You know, they said of King David, well, Saul was slaying his thousands, but David is 10,000, so what about the son of David? What's going to happen? I mean, like, that was an expectation. Impressive display, great power, political influence, a spiritual and physical entity that's going to set them free from Roman oppression, that's going to bring peace and prosperity and elevate them into glory. You know, the miracles are nice, but where is the rest of the story, Jesus? And they were awaiting something big, something dramatic, something extraordinary. And it doesn't seem to be quite taking place. And maybe you've had expectations along the same lines. Let's be real. Maybe you've had expectations along the same lines that the kingdom of God at work in your life is going to be something big, something dramatic, something great, something extraordinary, something impressive, heroic. But you feel like walking with Jesus is ordinary. And it feels kind of non-spectacular on a day-to-day basis. Maybe even feels insignificant. And that's why what Jesus is about to say is incredibly startling and encouraging. I give you permission to underline it in your Bible. Verse 19, what is the kingdom of God like? It is like a grain of mustard seed. That a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Mustard. Are you serious? <laughs> mustard. Are you the kingdom of God is like fill in the blank, and Jesus says, mustard seed. Am I missing something? I mean, I, I told my kids I was going to make this joke. I think I'm missing something. I need to catch up and figure out what's going on here. See, mustard to me means hot dogs and hamburgers in 4th of July. Like, mustard, what is going on? But it had a different meaning for these hearers. It did. It had a totally different meaning. See, mustard seed was the smallest of seeds in that day. It was the smallest of seeds. You can see a picture of it there. Look at that. The smallest of seeds in their day. And so they had an idiom, a saying, where they would say, that's like a mustard seed, which means that's insignificant, small, and like just unimpressive. So a husband would tell his wife, you know, they get to the end of uh, uh, end of the month, you know, and they're looking at, you know, the bank account, and honey says, I need to go get groceries. And the, the husband would say, well, babe, <laughs> our bank account kind of looks like a mustard seed right now. We need to hold off on that. We're in the sports bar. They would be talking. I don't know. I don't know what Jerry's doing, man. I, I think the Cowboys, their chance of making the playoffs is like a mustard seed this year. And we would say, we rebuke you in Jesus' name. Come on. Really? No. It's bigger than that. What was unique about the mustard seed was that a mustard seed, though it was the smallest seed, would grow to be the largest plant in a garden. We have, a, I think, a picture of it here. Look at that. And it just, like, takes over. In fact, uh, today, many people actually refer to it as a weed, because it would, it, would, it would grow, not just like one plant shoot up, but it would grow, and then the seeds would fall and fall and fall, and it would just kind of take over. I mean, trying to, imagine trying to plant or trying to uproot that, you know? It's just like, it's kind of like seaweed on dirt, you know I mean? It's just all over the place. It grows to be the biggest plant in the garden, up to 12 to 15 feet tall. And what Jesus is saying with this saying is he's saying this. He's saying, listen, listen. That the kingdom of God, the nature of the kingdom of God, he came to bring. And its nature is the same as the kingdom of God in our lives today. Is that the smallest, unimpressive, ordinary, non-spectacular things of God 
would have a great and lasting impact. Would have a great and lasting impact. And I'm so thankful, I don't know if you are, if you're catching it, I'm so thankful that this is the way of the kingdom because I feel very unimpressive. I mean, I look at me and I feel very unimpressive. I feel very ordinary. I feel very non-spectacular in my life. And what that means is that God can use me. And God can use you in that place where you are. This is encouragement for you this morning. In building the kingdom of God every once in a while, we get to do something big. But every day, we have the opportunity to do something small that has a big impact. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And this is why the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. I mean, he's just like, Jesus gave us this instruction and Paul's just hammering at home, man. In Colossians 3.17, encouraging the people of God, he said, in whatever you do, whatever you do, turn to your neighbor and say, whatever you do. Whatever you do. But pastor, all I do is manage accounts payable in a dull cubicle. It doesn't feel great. Whatever you do. All I do is, I mean, construction work and it's kind of, I don't know. It was unimpressive. Whatever you do. Well, I'm, I'm just a nurse and, I, you know, just kind of assist people. and just Life is busy and it's hectic. and I, Whatever you do. Maybe for... Some of you in here, you feel like you got small kids. Whatever, all I do, man, is I change diapers and do laundry. It seems like it's all I do. That's kind of how it feels at our house. Whatever you do. Or maybe, I know we have younger crowd in this service. You have big dreams. Man, I, I thought I was going to be in the Middle East by now, minister. I thought I was going to be doing this or, or that. Or I had this dream or that dream. And right now, man, I'm, I'm like doing retail. <laughs> I'm managing this small little thing. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed. You know what, what this sounds like to me? <laughs> whatever you do sounds a whole lot like we're talking about mundane Monday. Whatever you do kind of sounds to me like average Tuesday of the week. That's what, it's, what it sounds like. And, and he's saying whatever you do in word or deed Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is, do it through and unto the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't miss, don't miss the opportunity to demonstrate and to live out the kingdom of God. God is doing it through you in your everyday, small, seemingly insignificant, unimpressive, not going to have much impact, words and deeds. Because just like Jesus, you're carrying mustard seeds. God is sowing mustard seeds loaded with great potential through you. He's sowing mustard seeds through you, friends. He has chosen for those small little things on average Tuesday to be the things by which he would change the world. He's sowing mustard seeds through you. And when I was a senior in high school... I had this desire, I was starting to want to make an impact. And I had a friend in high school that didn't know Jesus and just felt like God put on my heart to start reaching out to him. And so I started praying for him, started inviting him to church, uh, inviting him to our, the Bible study we had at our high school. And just nothing seemed to be connected. He wasn't interested. And honestly, I felt so clumsy. I had such a hard time putting one foot in front of the other just to talk to him. And it just, I mean, it was, it was bad. Okay, it was very like unimpressive, and I, I even got to the point where I thought like maybe I'm getting in the way, <laughs> you know, like maybe like someone else needs to come, they can talk better, do something better, because this is not working. And so one day, uh, it was a Saturday, I called his house. I'm just going to invite him one more time. And his mom picks up the phone, and she says, "Yeah, he's uh, he can't talk right now. He's out doing the yard." I was like, "Okay, um, well, tell him to call me back." I hung up, really thinking like, "There's no way he's calling me back." Because he knows what I'm calling about. And so I just sat back and I thought, I was honestly just kind of disappointed at the end of it. One of my chores at the house was mowing the yard. And 
running the weed eater and doing all that stuff. And so I just got the idea. I thought, well, what if I just went over and I helped him? I just do what I can do. Didn't seem like much. So I called back. I said, hey, I think I'm going to come over and help him mow the yard. Would that be okay? She's like, really? <laughs> you know, okay, sure. So I load up my you know, mower, weed eater, anoint it with oil. <laughs> I put oil inside of it. And, um, and I go. And I show up and I pull up and he's out there sweating hot, you know, the whole thing. And I just get out my weed eater and I'm going to start helping him do his yard. And he's like, what are you doing, man? I was like, well, I heard you mowing yard, and I thought I'd just come help. And so we worked together and sweat together and finished the yard, and I was packing up. I wasn't going to even say anything because um, all God gave me to do is just go help. And so I'm packing up my stuff, and he comes out. Hey, man, hey, hey before you go, God, what's that thing? You've been asking me to come to something. I, I don't know. What is that? And I said, oh, like our, our Bible study? And he said, yeah, what time is it? I said, well, seven tonight. He said, okay, I'm coming. It's like, oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I mean, uh, cool. Uh, I think it's at seven. Uh, all right, got to go. <laughs> and he came and brought a friend, and God encountered him in that night. He met Jesus in a fresh way, and God began to work in his life. Who knew? <laughs> Weed eaters, anointed by oil, can be... Anointed, right? This last week in our life group, we were sitting around the circle and, and we're honoring those that had birthdays this summer and just wanted to encourage different people. And so we kind of opened up the floor and I was so struck by what is shared. It wasn't some great big thing that someone did, but everyone began to just encourage one another based on it was the accumulation of small, little, seemingly unimpressive, but thoughtful ways that those people had loved us, and it had had a great, big impact. Just servant-hearted actions that were noticed and that had a big impact. You know, recently, we received a, a notification or email or whatever from someone in our church, um, and this is, this is crazy, man. This is awesome. They'd been deeply impacted by their first time coming here. I mean, they cried through the whole service. And they emailed and, and they, they said, you know, here's my story. I don't know Jesus. I never walked with Jesus. Never been to church. Never done. Just through a series of events, just God started working in my heart. I woke up one day and I thought, I need to go to church. I, I, I need to go to church. And so they Googled church near me, <laughs> non-denominational church near me, Antioch with the A. Yeah, pops up, you know, at the top of Google. And they say, all right, I'm going. And they don't know a soul. I don't know anybody, never even been to church before, and they come, they're so nervous, as any of us would be in that sort of situation or environment, and they, they walk in, they, they literally walk to the curb, and they don't know what to do. Like, I've, what do, like, what do I do? And someone on our welcome home team was just holding the sign and was smiling and said, hey, welcome, come on in. And so they were like, okay, so they walked in. <laughs> they get in, and you're, once you get into our building, you, you have the same experience again, right? Do I go upstairs, downstairs, left, right? What's happening? And, uh, and someone else with a sign, hey, we're so glad you're here. Just come on upstairs. Go upstairs. They walk in. Don't know what to do. Like someone else in the welcome home, hey, holding the sign. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Uh, is, is this your first time? They could tell. And um, said, yeah, I, I don't know what to do. They said, well, come with me. And they brought him into the service. That day, someone uh, sitting around them said, uh, through our meet and greet time, met him, first time, hey, do you want to go to lunch with us? They went to lunch, cried through the whole service. And they emailed us, and they, and they said this. They said, the most impactful thing, it's a great service, great message, was these people at the door that welcomed me in holding a sign, smiling, saying, we're glad you're here. I doubt, sincerely doubt, that the Welcome Home team, those members, woke up that morning and thought, I'm scheduled for Welcome Home. <laughs> right? Something big. Something awesome. You know, they show up, and Joe's talking to them, and, hey, you know, you're, you're holding the sign today. Okay, all right. Hold the sign and stand... 
you know, stand there, just there whatever you do that day was holding a sign and smiling. And it had a lasting impact on this woman. She came up to me after the first service. She said, how was the person you're talking about in the story? And she gave me more of the details. I was like, that's awesome. Like you're a living testimony of it in our midst of what Jesus is doing. A little everyday opportunity that has a big impact. Because in the kingdom of God, friends, every once in a while, you get to do something big. Every once in a while, you get, we get to do something big. But every day, we have opportunity to do something small that has a big impact. Jesus continues with the next verse. It's one more question, one more statement, and it's equally as powerful. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Three measures, 60 pounds, feeds 100 people. That's a lot of, that's a lot of flour. Until it was all leavened. So this is the same concept, but a different application. So as the mustard seed is God sowing through us to build a kingdom in, in others, to impact others. This is referring to the work of God's kingdom, what Jesus is doing in us, in you. Just like leaven that is hidden into flour, into dough, and causes it to grow and expand, God is hiding his word in your heart. Leaven is actually uh, referred to throughout the scriptures as a picture of teaching. Teaching. And as we receive the word of God, the spirit of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has put inside of you, he's at work transforming his people. Every once in a while we get to be a part of something big, we do something big, but... Every day, we have the opportunity to do or receive something small that will have a big impact. Apostle Paul, again, he just, he's like the closer. <laughs> Jesus is like sharing all this stuff, and he just comes and helps uh, apply it even more. Colossians 3.16, he says this, encouraging, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Just a small little word, this <laughs> is 15 minutes. Let it dwell in you richly and it begins to grow and impact you. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. For it is God who works in you. He's at work in you to both will and work for his good pleasure. In my own walk with Jesus, and I know many of you share this same story. I mean, I've, I've had opportunities to, to have some big dramatic moments with God. It's great. And, I, and I, every once in a while, those happen but I could probably count them on one hand in 35 years. Big dramatic moments with God. It's been great, turning point moments. But what has transformed me, what has been the radical shift for me, has been learning the everyday opportunity to receive God's word, to receive his spirit, to receive his grace, to receive his mercy that's new that morning for that day. It's absolutely radically changed my life and transformed my character. And God is doing it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I'm doing it. You don't see it. You don't think it's happening. Even these disciples that are arguing about who's the greatest. And all that, everyone's like, I don't think it's sticking. <laughs> you know, oh, Jesus, I don't think it's working. And God said, no, it's at work. I'm shaping. I'm changing you. Small opportunity every day. Big impact. You'll hear often around Antioch, we say things like, you know, spending time with God or quiet time or private devotion or spiritual disciplines. You know, it's all basically this means the same thing. It's the practice of on a daily basis in maybe what seems to be very insignificant and unspectacular, receiving the word of God, receiving the spirit of God, receiving the grace of God, receiving the blessing of God, saying, yes, Jesus, I want you today. And as we do, he fills and he empowers, and it's like that leaven that just grows. And what happens when that happens in a group of people? Watch out. <laughs> I heard someone say years ago, I don't even remember who it was, but it marked me. They said, those that change the world 
are those who make it a practice to meet with God every day. Small. <laughs> Seems insignificant. Nobody sees it. I mean, Jesus even talks about, you know, pray in secret, give in secret. Like, why? <laughs> I'm trying to have impact. He's saying, my kingdom <laughs> is right side up. All right? Learning to do that. St. Therese of Lisieux. <laughs> It's a French word. I screwed it up. I'm pretty sure. I asked Brad Walcher. I don't think he's in this service. He's a French expert uh, in the room. And I was like, dude, how do I even say this? St. Therese of Lisieux. She was a French nun in the late 19th century. And as I read about her this week, I was like, Lord, raise up more people like this woman. In a time when the church and its theology was just focused on legalism and vain pursuit of God in a, in a you know, tension of man, and, and it was mixed with pride and fear and judgment and all that, and that there was this distance and this heaviness in relationship with God. God raised up this woman in her early 20s, and she committed to just following Jesus as a nun, as a part of the Carmelite order, and aware of her brokenness and her poverty and need, she practiced what has now widely become known as the little way. The little way. And the little way was simply this. I mean, it's, you know, don't blink because you're going to miss it this morning. The practice of daily receiving the love of God and coming to him as a father with open arms. It's like driving through a small town, you know. You're like, I think we just, did I miss it? I mean, it just happened so fast. Simple. Every day, receiving the love of God and coming to him as a father with open arms. Wow, I messed up. No, he's kind. And I'm coming to him again. Not waiting for the next big dramatic moment, you know, world mandate next year or this thing. I get Just today, receiving the love of God and coming to him as a father with open arms. This was revolutionary. It was a revolutionary and healing bomb to the Christian community and spread all over the world. She died at 24 years old. 24 years old. I mean, she probably would be like one of the younger people in this room. Having seemingly lived a simple, ordinary, unspectacular life, but willing to receive the love of God and come to him as a father with open arms every day in a small way. And it's influenced generations, generations long after her. Her simple practice, her little way. On average, Tuesday or mundane morning, Monday has become a shining example for generations of devotion to Jesus that can change the world. In building the kingdom, every once in a while we get to do something big, but every day we have opportunity to do something small that has a big impact. So friends, I, I have to ask, I, I have to ask, what's the mustard seed God has put in your hand? What's the mustard seed he wants to sow through your life to impact the world? How might he desire to build the kingdom of God through you in your life are you aware of his desire? Are you aware of his desire to build his kingdom through you in the simple, everyday, mundane, unimpressive, whatever you do, season of your life? Maybe some of us have been impressed with this, that we feel the angst because we're waiting for something big. And we're holding out for something big. When I get to go to that or invited to that or get that opportunity to do that. And we've neglected what Jesus is doing, the opportunity to do something small every day. Maybe we've been too prideful to consider the small ways God wants to use you to have a big impact. Like that welcome home team member. Like that person in the life group. You know, Jesus is setting things right side up this morning. He is. And let's humble ourselves, receive the small ways, the small things, the hidden things he wants to do 
Because you were born, hear me, you were born to have great impact. You are born for significance, but it's in the mustard seed. So as we close, I just want to ask you to dream with me for a moment. I mean, you can close your eyes or whatever. Would you just dream with me for a moment? Just think of what you will feel a thousand years from now when you can look back on your life on all the average Tuesdays, all the mundane Mondays, all of the whatever you do seasons of life, and you see the sum weight of a million small decisions to love Jesus, to love others, to serve, to honor, to demonstrate the kingdom of God in whatever you do. All the small words and deeds in the name of Jesus. And imagine the overwhelming, overwhelming joy and gratitude that is coursing through your being in that moment. Because each one, each one significantly mattered to God. And was a part of the story of his everlasting kingdom. The scripture says in Daniel 7 that talking about Jesus, that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting dominion. In Hebrews, it says that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything else is going to be shaken, but the kingdom of God is not going to be shaken. Jesus said just a chapter before this, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's a kingdom that can't be shaken. It's a kingdom that he's given to you and to me, but it's in the mustard seed. Because in the kingdom of God, every once in a while, you get to do something big. But every day, we have the opportunity to do something small that will have a big impact for all eternity. In the kingdom of God, as the prophet Isaiah said, of his kingdom and his government and his rule and his peace, there will be no end. And it's in the mustard seed. Let us not forget that. Here in a moment, we're going to have opportunity to receive communion. To receive communion together as a church family. And I know that maybe there's some in the room that um, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to just speak to you as a friend this morning for just a moment about Relationship with Jesus. God created us for a purpose. We've been talking about it. Significance, a destiny, great things. That's what God has for each of us. But it's found in relationship with him, in fellowship with him, in his purpose, in union with him. And sin has entered the world. And every man, woman, child has sinned. And sin separates us from God and from purpose and significance that God has created us for in relationship with him. But God is so merciful, so good, so gracious that he came as a man. He became flesh through Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross as the substitute, the atonement for our sins so we could be forgiven. And he was buried in a grave, but God raised him up in power and glory. And he's alive today, and he's coming again soon. And he commanded that all men repent and believe in Jesus and that you would have eternal life, and he would give you right to be a child of God. And you can be in fellowship with God again and live a life of purpose and meaning. And I want to give you opportunity to respond this morning, if that is you. I want to give you opportunity. So just ask everyone to bow their head, close their eyes, and just focus your attention on Jesus this morning. And if that's you, if today is the day 
and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, maybe it's the first time or maybe it's been a long, long time. I want to just invite you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. This is for between you and God. Just raise your hand and say, God, I want to trust you again. Now I want to invite everyone together just to pray with me and repeat after me. Father God, I need you. I'm broken without you. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming, Jesus, for for dying on the cross for my sin and for being raised from the grave, victorious over all sin, over death, and over all oppression of the enemy. I put my trust in you today. I believe you're the son of God and you died for me. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live as a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite all of you to stand. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and when you're ready, you can come forward and receive communion as the team leads us.
Christ is risen.